right now in the Gospel of John to kind of give you the setting. Uh, we've been watching Jesus as he is kind of revealing his authority. But he's not doing it in like a broadcasting sense. He's not out trying to, hey, everybody, check out my authority. It's just that people have been seeing that in the way that he is healing the sick, healing the blind, healing the maimed, casting out demons. We've been seeing his authority in the fact that he's speaking like no one else could speak. And then not only that, but he's backing up the things that he's saying with authority over both the natural and the supernatural world. The authority of the king is the good news of his kingdom. Where we live in a world where it seems like so often that things are just spiraling out of control. Like things are just out of whack. But we know that the very one who in his authority can speak healing to the lame and healing to the maimed and healing to the blind and hope to those that have no hope, the very one who can do that with that same authority will one day set all the nations aright. So we even know that even today, that things aren't beyond his grasp. But sometimes in his kindness, he waits, he waits till just the right time to show up. And so the authority of the king in the, is the good news of the kingdom. And for those who trust him, as he said there in Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The good news of the kingdom is all about the king. And this is what he opened the scroll. He read that to them there in his hometown of Nazareth, and they lost their minds. Not everyone was responding to the good news of the kingdom in the way that the disciples had hoped. There were many who were super curious about Jesus. Uh, they had heard about the signs and wonders that he was doing. And so they would follow simply because they wanted to see some like something trippy. They wanted to see some, whoa, that was cool, man. And that's all they were following for. Like he was some like, like magician, you know, just cruising around the countryside, um, blowing people's minds. And so they were curious about Jesus and they were following him out of curiosity hoping and expecting to see a miracle, but there was no level of commitment and the crowds were growing. Now, sometimes when you have a large crowd, there's certain blessings that are attached to that. There's also trouble that's attached to that as well. When you have large crowds, man, you think about it. If all of a sudden, like you have, you know, 5,000 people showing up to your church, you know what that means? You're gonna have to try to find a building that's big enough to, to, to support 5,000 people. And if you get a venue that's big enough to support 5,000 people, then you got to have bathrooms for them too. That's a lot to worry about. You know, what if, what if all 5,000 had to use the toilet at once? You'd have problems, you know? You got to figure these things out. Parking is a big issue. And well, with them, this massive crowd cruising around the countryside because they're hanging on every word that Jesus is saying and they're watching all the miracles that he's doing... Suddenly, now they're all hungry. 
And we've watched the way that he reached them in the feeding of the 5,000. People that are curious, but these crowds were fickle. Perform a miracle, Jesus. Oh, cool, but not that miracle. We want you to do the other miracle. Uh, No, not that, a different thing. And like he said, what should I like in this generation? It's like, you know, I played, a, I played a happy song for you and you wouldn't dance. I played a sad song and you wouldn't cry. Like, I, you, I can't make you happy. And that's how he likened to this generation. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Let the little children come to me. <laughs> you know? Even if they have to roll them to Jesus, they'll roll them to Jesus. <laughs> have a good kids class. <sighs> I love that. It's so precious. All right. Um, but, you know, they're like, they were fickle. The crowds were so fickle. On top of that, the antagonism between the Jewish leaders and Jesus' followers was growing. It was becoming more and more difficult for people to follow the teachings of Jesus and to still hold to the I'm a very good Jew traditions that they were being taught in synagogue at that time. And the political scene was also becoming more and more hostile. Herod Antipas had just executed John the Baptist. Jesus and his disciples, they retreated to a lonely place on a mountain near the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee to rest in the middle of the crowds and all of their needs and their demands, in the middle of the tension between his followers and the religious leaders, in the middle of the political tension and the fact that John the Baptist has just been executed and all the weight of all the things coming down upon them out to a lonely place on a mountain to rest, but the multitude followed Jesus there. And instead of shutting them down and being like, look, I need a day off, guys. It's time for you to go home. Can't you see? I'm I'm exhausted here. Instead of doing that, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And there he performed that miracle of feeding the 5,000 people, 5,000 men, not counting women and children, with just five small loaves and two small fish. And that miracle really had an impact on the people. We read last week as we closed up our time together in John 6, verse 14 and 15, then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So here, they're getting ready to, they're getting ready to anoint Jesus as king, take him by force. The multitudes are so convinced, like, this guy, we need him to be our ruler. We need him to be our leader. Could you imagine a politician nowadays? When they're like, oh, these people want me. They're going to give me power. The politicians are all drunk with power. They'll say anything to get the power, and then they use it for their own purposes so that they can pass their own building contracts and stuff through. You know, they like that. 
What politician, like, we want to make you king right now. And he's like, peace out. I'm going into the hillside. You can do your thing. I don't want anything to do with this. Because he wasn't after the fame. He wasn't after the, the, the prestige of it all. He came to seek and save that which was lost. And so now, he departs to the mountain by himself alone. You can just imagine the disciples. Well, wait a minute. Wait. Jesus, wait. This is what we were hoping for. Like, this is the moment. We're waiting for the day when Jesus would assert his authority and claim the throne of David. I mean, after all, remember, they knew the prophecies. What better time than now? The people actually want you to be their king. Here's your chance. What? You're going to go up to the mountains instead? Alone? Wait, what? You want us to get into a boat and go across the lake without you? And Matthew tells us that it was right away. It tells us in Matthew 14, 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. And he sent the multitudes away. These guys want to make him king. And right then he's like, okay, you disciples, get into this boat and go. You guys, you all go home. That's what he's doing to the multitude. But look at where he says, immediately Jesus made his disciples. That word is, he constrained them. Like they didn't want to get into that boat. They didn't want to. They were fishermen. As fishermen, they knew when were good times to get into the lake and when were bad times to get into the lake. And this was a bad time. Remember when Jesus says, you guys can discern the face of the sky. You can say, look, it's red skies in the morning. It's going to be good weather. You can say, look, red skies at night. It's going to be uh, good or bad weather or vice versa. You can discern the face of the sky and know what weather is going to be like, but you can't discern the times. Well, these guys were fishermen. Peter, James, and John had a professional fishing business, one of the largest businesses in Capernaum. They knew the trade. They didn't want to get into the boat. They could discern the face of the sky. They knew it wasn't a good day to be doing the boating thing. They didn't want to get into the boat. They didn't want to get into the boat because after all, he's the one they've been waiting for. The people are wanting to make him king. Things are getting good. They don't want to miss any of it. And now what you're sending us away? And in the middle of all the excitement, And all that's going on here, Jesus sends them into the boat. They didn't want to. He constrained them. He made his disciples get into the boat. He sent them into the lake. He sent them into the dark. He sent them into the storm. To the boat, to the lake, to the dark, to the storm. John 6, verse 16 through 18, it says, Now when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea toward Capernaum. It was already dark, and Jesus had not come to them. 
Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. Now remember at this time, Jesus is on a mountainside praying. The disciples are in the lake rowing. And I love the detail that Mark throws in in Mark 6, verse 47 and 48. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. Then he saw them straining and rowing for the wind was against them. I love that little detail. Not only did he send them, but now he sees them in the middle of what they're going through. And I just want to remind you this. The Lord sees you in your struggle. It's such a precious Bible truth. You see that with, um, with Hagar. When, when Sarai sends her away and she's thinking that she's going to die. And there the Lord reveals himself to her and, and provides for her. And there she called that place the Lord who sees me. When Abraham was in despair because he's thinking that he needs to offer his son, Isaac, and there the Lord provides for him a ram caught in the thicket. And there Abraham called that place Jehovah Jireh, the God who sees, the God who provides. And all through the scripture, just to know that God sees you, that God notices you. He knows where you're at. The problem isn't whether or not God notices us, though. So often it's that we never take the time to notice him. We never take the time to be aware of what he's done or what he's doing. We just keep going on in our own stubborn way, in our own busy way, in our own pre-planned way. And because we've already made our plans, we have no room for God to interrupt those plans. And so they got into the boat when evening came. And then in verse 17, things got dark, and Jesus had not come to them. And maybe you're in a place in your life where it feels like, Lord, it's dark. And why haven't you come to me? Now remember, Jesus knew about this storm that it was coming when he sent them out into that boat. Jesus saw them as they were toiling. He waited till it was so dark, till they were fearful, till they were desperate. Why? So that he could meet them there in a special way. (laughs) They're toiling into the wind. Now out here, you know, every now and then they have those downwind races on stand-up paddle boards. And man, that's fun, right? That's so fun. Because your body becomes a sail. You could just stand there and start really moving. And then you start paddling. But they don't do, unless I'm completely unaware of it, the Maui upwind paddleboard race. If you've ever had to paddle upwind, you know how miserable it is. And your marks get set. <laughs> Where where aren't we going anywhere? These guys have been at this and they've gotten into this situation where they're three or four miles into it. They're exhausted. There's waves, there's wind, there's a 
storm all around them. They don't want to be away from Jesus. They don't want to be in the boat. They don't want to be in the storm. They don't want to be in this situation. And yet in the middle of all of this, he waits till it's dark. They're exhausted. They're fearful. They're desperate. And it reminds me of one of my favorite Psalms. In Psalm 107, verse 23 through 27, it says, Those who go down to the sea in ships, who do business on the great waters, they see the works of the Lord and his wonders in the deep. For he commands and raises the stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. They mount up to the heavens. They go down again to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man and are at their wit's end. They that go down to the sea in ships, they see the works of God. They see it. Like, I love the ocean. I love the waves. I remember being a a kid. I think I was probably around nine or ten when one of my friends in school, like his dad started taking him surfing. And I'd lived probably a 30-minute drive from the beach. Like, I, they knew where the beach was. It wasn't super far from where I lived, but like, it was beyond where I could get there on my own. And to hear that my friend was starting to learn how to surf, I was just intrigued. I wanted that. And then I remember his, his, his dad took us all to the beach and loaned me a surfboard, and I got to play around on it. And It was probably really funny to watch me try, but I loved it. And I just wanted, I want to learn how to surf. And then my my other friend, his mom, she would get up and go to work every day. And where she worked at, there was a bus stop right outside of, of where she worked. And if we'd get on that bus and stay on that bus long enough, that bus would let us off right at the beach where we always would like to go. So we'd be like, hey, Sue, can you take us to your work with you? And we'll just get on the bus, and then after work, you can come pick us up at the beach. And so when we weren't in school in our summer breaks, we'd go to work every day with with Sue, and she'd drop us off. We'd get on the bus, we'd get over to the beach, and we'd spend all day at the beach, my friend Brian and I. And I loved it. But man, when you start getting out there in the ocean all the time, sometimes those waves, they get big. They get scary. There's been a few times in my life where I thought, I'm going to die out here. You get so frightened. Remember one time I was, I don't even know how it happened. The waves were kind of big. They weren't super big, but I was on a longboard. I had my leash, and, um, and somehow my leash wrapped around my legs, and then the board went through my legs, and I got hogtied. And the wave's pulling the surfboard, and every time it pulls the surfboard, it's pulling the leash tighter around my legs, and the way it's done, I can't get my legs out. Because I can't get my legs out, and I'm getting dragged, I can't get up to take a full breath. And I'm like, this is so bad. I'm going to drown. I was scared. I got out of it, though. But I remember it was intimidating. Remember, I love South Africa. I have friends down there. My, my friend, my really good friend, Dimitri, who's a pastor down there. And 
Shortly after Hannah and I got married, we went to South Africa. I wanted to introduce her to all of my friends down there, and, and I brought my surfboards with me. And the day we landed, a lady was swimming there in Cape Town. She was swimming in this little town called um, Simonstown, <clears throat> and there's a boardwalk along it. And she was swimming laps along the boardwalk, and the people were walking on the boardwalk, and they watched her get eaten whole by a great white. All that was left was her swim cap. That's all they ever found of her. That's the day we landed. And then a couple days later, my friend Dimitri's like, so let's go surfing. And I'm like, okay. And we go to this beach. The water is so cold. You have to wear a thick wetsuit. And uh, there's no one around. And the waves are pretty big. There's like, it's just Dimitri and I. We're paddling out. And we keep paddling, and we get out further and further and further. And next thing you know, we're kind of out into this mist. So, you know, you can't really even fully see the shore. And Dimitri catches a wave, and he rides it so far, I can't even see him anymore. And the wave's getting bigger. And so I keep paddling out. And then this big wave starts coming, and right when I'm paddling it over it, and in my mind, I know I'm in, like, great white territory. And I'm coming up the face of this wave, and I'm already intimidated by the size of the wave, and no one's around. And in the wave right next to me, this massive splash. <laughs> Terrified. I don't even know what it is, but I don't even care. And it was just a seal. But I was done. I turned around. I just went right in. I just lay there on the sand for a while. like <gasps> I totally thought that that was a great white. I couldn't go back out that day. I was out one time in Mexico, and again, the swell kept getting bigger and bigger, and you keep paddling out and paddling out and paddling out, and then without realizing it, the current had been sucking me way down shore. I was so far away from where we were in Ensenada, like, it was hard to even find my way back, and I was pretty scared. Those that go down to the sea in ships, though, they're not just going out to have some recreation. That's their job. They're just doing what they need to do. They're just going out and trying to provide for their families. And there's some times when you're in the middle of just doing what you need to do and you're out just trying to provide for your families. There's things that happen that are just out of your control. These waves, they mount up. And I love how it says that. They are at their wit's end, like a drunken man. And sometimes in the middle of these, like just trying to do what's best for your family, you end up in a place where you are at your wit's end. I mean, we all face storms like this. Maybe it's like some kind of a financial storm. Sometimes it's just like, it's like one thing after another. Any of the things along the, the way in this financial storm would have been fine, but because they all hit at the same time, now you're in a situation where I don't know how I'm going to get through this. Or some other kind of storm that you didn't see coming that caused multiple things to fall apart all at once. But see, God is in the storm. The storm that leads you to seek him. Remember, it's never a question of whether or not God sees us. Sometimes God, it takes a lot for him to get our attention. 
Why is it that we so often, we wait until we're at that moment of our wit's end before we'll cry out to him? Let's learn a lesson. Let's, let's learn to come to him sooner than at your wit's end. Let's learn that Philippians 4 where, you know, in everything, be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To the point where we're not falling into those, those times of anxiety. But we have, we're constantly bringing it to the Lord. See, Psalm 107, 24 through 31 says, Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, and he brings them out of their distresses. He calms the storm so that its waves are still. Then they are glad because they are quiet, so he guides them to their desired haven. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. That's what we see for these guys that go down to the sea in ships. And now that they get to this point of where they're at their wits end and they cry out to the Lord. Let's see that in the lives of the disciples here in John 6 verse 19. Verse 19 to verse 20 it says, So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. And they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Three or four miles into this. Now remember, there's a storm. They've been rowing against the wind for three or four miles. It's not, this isn't no downwind. This is into the wind for three or four miles. They are exhausted. It's dark. They're desperate. Like for, They didn't even want to get into the boat to begin with. And now they're in the middle of this dark. They're tired. They're scared. And then on top of all of that, now they think that they see a ghost. That's what the other gospels say. It's that when they start to see this form walking on the water, they're like, it's a ghost. So now it's like, we're tired. It's dark. We might die and get haunted on the way. This is a bad day. <laughs> but why do they think it's a phantom? Because their minds couldn't comprehend that it was an actual person walking on the water. And why couldn't their minds comprehend that? Because in the middle of their trouble, they were just stuck in that thinking of what's possible for man and what's not possible for man. Remember the miracle that Jesus performed just before that of feeding 5,000 with five loaves of barley and two small fish. But before he did that, he knew what he was going to do, and yet he put it on his disciples to test them. And he turned to Philip, and he's like, Philip, how are we going to feed all these guys? And Philip's answer was, 200 denarii is not even enough to buy enough bread to feed all these guys, let alone we're so far away from any towns, we can't even buy the bread. Philip's answer, when he's talking about money and stores and all of that, he's answering the question in the exact same way that an atheist would even answer that question. Because it's all about where does it fit within the budget? Like this plus this equals this and that's all it can ever equal because that's all that happens in the natural world 
But Jesus was teaching them a lesson. Not a lesson of one plus one equals two, but God plus the impossibility will always show that God can come through. Right? That's the thing. He's teaching them to trust God in the face of what doesn't even seem to make sense. And while they took that, those five loaves and those two small fish, and in their own hands, they went and distributed them. And with their own hands, they went and gathered up fragments. And with the fragments, now they have 12 basketfuls of bread left. They all saw the miracle. They all saw, look, that doesn't make sense. And yet Jesus just made it happen. But now in their minds, in the middle of the storm, and they're tired, and they're scared, and there's all this going on. It has to be a ghost. That's all it makes sense. It's impossible for it to be a person. But remember this, that God is a God of the impossible. Luke 18, 27, but he said, the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. And I love how Jesus immediately answers their fear with these words. It is I. Do not be afraid. It is I. Do not be afraid. Just take a minute to think about those words. So much reassurance in them. They're in a boat that they don't want to be in. They're in the lake they don't want to be in. In a storm they don't want to be in. Rowing and they don't want to be doing that. In the dark, they don't want to be out there in the dark. And now they're seeing what they think is a ghost. Everything about it is not what they want and they're scared. They don't want it and they're afraid of it. And so here's their circumstance, a circumstance that they don't want to be in and they're afraid while they're in the middle of it. Ever been in a circumstance like that? You don't want to be there and if you're honest, you are terrified. And in the middle of this, I don't want to be here and I'm terrified to hear Jesus speaking through the circumstance. It's me. It's me. Jesus is saying, like, that which is scaring the living daylights out of you, that's me. Why are you scared of this? This strange form that doesn't make sense to you, that's me. You don't need to be afraid. This person who's doing what is absolutely impossible for men to do, that's me. And you just think of it, that the things that oppose you, the currents and the winds, right here we see Jesus already had all those things under his feet. That he's in control of all the events. There's no need to fear. He was the one that sent them into the storm. He was the one that sent them into the boat, into the dark. And he was the one that came to them there. 
The entire circumstance was him. And he met them there. Why does God let us get to these places where we're mounting up and down and we get to these places where we're acting like drunken men? We're at our wits end. Why? Because it's then that we cry out to the Lord and it's there that he meets us. And as soon as he, it's me, don't be afraid. Matthew tells us that at this time, that's when Peter called out to him in Matthew 14, 28 and 29. And Peter answered and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. This is kind of weird because look, at one moment, they're terrified. They're like, it's a ghost. And then finally, no, it's me. And remember this. Peter and the disciples, they had already had a storm experience with Jesus. In Matthew 8, verse 25 through 27, then his disciples came to him and awoke him saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? Oh, you of little faith. He arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So so the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? They saw his power and his authority in calming the storm. They had just seen his power and authority in multiplying five loaves and two small fish And now they're seeing his authority walking on the water. But Peter, in his mind, must have been like, well, we've seen you're in authority to cast out demons, and then you gave that authority to us. You called us to do it, and we healed people. We preached the gospel. Lord, if it's you, I want to do what you're doing. Call me to come to you. Peter just wants to know one thing, though. Lord, is it you? Is it you? That should be the one question on our minds. Is it him? When an opportunity arises, even if it doesn't make sense, Lord, is this you? When a thought comes to mind of, like, some some idea, hmm, Lord, is this you? When you're in difficulty, when you're in the middle of these stormy circumstances of, you know, in a boat, in the dark, in a storm, exhausted, all the places you didn't want to be, and in the middle of it all, you're terrified. Lord, is it you? And if it's him, if the Lord wills, impossible things become possible. If the Lord wills, you can Like, for instance, there's some things that just feel so impossible, like loving your enemies. But you know what? Impossible things, if the Lord wills, it's possible. And guess what? I have a Bible that tells me that that is God's will for your life. That you would love your enemies. That you would pray for them who persecute you. You would do good to those who spitefully use you and abuse you. Wow. That's God's will 
That, that I would have a love for them. Like, if they're going to be crazy, then let them be the crazy ones. But your position is to still pray for them and to love them. Doesn't mean you love what they do. I would love it if they changed, but to still love them. If it's God's will that you forgive, whoa, whoa, whoa. Now that's impossible. I cannot forgive that person. You don't know what they did to me. You're right, I don't. But God does. And do you know what they did to Jesus? You know what they did to him? And you know what he said from the cross? Father, forgive them. I know it's God's will. That he would give you that ability, that grace to be able to forgive. It might seem like it's walking on water. But if you keep your eyes on Jesus and you trust in him, not how it works out on paper, you trust in him. Impossible things become possible. If the Lord calls you to a difficult task or a far-off mission field or a season of loneliness, you can endure if it's him. And so Jesus immediately says to Peter, come. Peter crawled out of the boat and began to walk on the water towards the Lord. He started out boldly and confidently, but then instead of looking at Jesus, he began to look at the waves, he felt the wind, and his confidence failed. And he began to sink in the water. And as Peter began to sink, he prayed one of the shortest prayers in the Bible. Lord, save me. And I love that even those short prayers are so meaningful. Sometimes we think we need to impress the Lord with our prayers. Could you imagine if Peter felt like he needed to impress the Lord while he was drowning? Oh, Lord, gracious, heavenly Father, you who I'm drowning right now, and I know you see my circumstances. You're the one who has given me lungs that require air. And in the midst of all of this, if somehow you, you know, if he didn't have time for any of that, Lord, help me. Praise God that you don't need to impress the Lord. He sees you all the time. He knows all your thoughts. And according to what I read in the scripture, the sincerity of the heart is so much more impressive than the big vocabulary and the fancy poet, poetic prayers. Sincerity of the heart. Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out to him, took his hand, and said, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? From there in verse 21, Then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was on the land where they were going. Their fear was immediately relieved when they realized that it was Jesus who was walking on the water. And when they realized that, they learned something really big that day. That the one who sent them into the storm met them in the middle of the storm in a very special way. And it was such a special way that they all had to talk about it. Yeah, and he walked on the water to us. And the only thing that made sense once they realized that it was him was to receive him into the boat. 
And I love that. Once you realize, like, oh, wow, it's, it's you, Lord. It's you that has sent me into this, in the middle of this situation. I'm just going to, now that I realize it, Lord, I, I want to receive you here in the middle of this. We're going to be like, whoa, hey, Lord, I'm glad it's you. Okay, we'll, we'll see you when we get there. Um, enjoy your walk. And like, Lord, get into the boat. Think of the church in Laodicea. A church. A church that says to, to this church, Jesus says, I, I stand at the door and I knock. And if you would open the door, I will come in and I will dine with you. This fact of the, that Jesus would enter into the situation that the church found themselves in. And that was a situation that they brought upon themselves. Here's the disciples and Jesus is entering into the situation that they find themselves in. And Jesus makes all the difference. Zacchaeus invited Jesus to come to his house and Jesus transformed Zacchaeus that day. They did the obvious thing, and they invited him in to the boat. <laughs> and I love how when they do, immediately there's a further demonstration of the power of Jesus. They were instantly on the other side of the lake. They had paddled for three or four miles, which means that they still have another three or four miles to go. But immediately, they're on the dock in Capernaum. Wow. The very one who multiplied five loaves and two fish, the very one who found enough substance of the molecular structure of water to uphold the weight of a human being, the very one who could rebuke the wind and the waves, just folded space. <laughs> That's a pretty cool thing, right? Now it makes sense. Like, whoa, like when he had risen from the grave and he's in Jerusalem and then boom, he's meeting his disciples in Galilee and then boom, he's back to Jerusalem again. Well, that's kind of cool. Just another demonstration of his authority. But did the wind stop blowing? Did the sea get calm? You don't read that in this account. You don't read of the storm stopping. What you do read is through the storm, they immediately get to the other side. The miracle is that he got into the boat with them and through the storm, he brought them to shore. And sometimes in the middle of them storms, I, I like this quote by Wearsby. He highlights the fact that sometimes the storm is to correct you, and sometimes the storm is to perfect you. It says Jonah was in the storm because he disobeyed. He disobeyed God and had to be corrected. The disciples were in a storm because they obeyed Christ and had to be perfected. But either way, God met Jonah in the middle of that, right? Not just in the middle of the storm, but in the middle of a fish in the bottom of the ocean. He met him in such a special way. And here to the disciples. But see, God will, 
God will lead you through it. When you feel and find that steady, strong wind blowing against you, try to lean into it instead of panicking. Think of like the hang gliders, right? Like if a hang glider's there and you're getting all set up and he's got his, his wing there and then the wind starts blowing into the wing and he starts fighting it, he's just going to get blown into the bushes. But if a hang glider like leans into the wind and leans into the wing, well, then that's where he's going to take off. And let the storm lead you to him. I, I think of Psalm 61, verse 1 and 2. Hear my cry, O God. Attend to my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I will cry to you. And when my heart is overwhelmed, listen to that. This situation of a righteous man saying, my heart is overwhelmed. Well, what is the purpose of that overwhelming of the heart? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. The storm, it might not let up. But for us as Christians, we often get the wrong idea that that's what Christianity is. That the storm lets up and then we have smooth sailing. But that's not true. Jesus says in John 16, these things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you'll have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So in the middle of the tribulation, of the world, the trouble of the world, he's giving us peace. The trouble doesn't stop, but neither does the peace. The storm didn't let up, but they got to the other side. And that's what Paul says in Corinthians, right? No temptation has come upon you except for that which is common to man. And God will, with the temptation, provide a way of escape so that you could get out of it? No, so that you can endure it. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Go around it? No, we're going through it. And I'm going to get you to the other side. So when we find ourselves in the storm, remember, he brought us here. And if he brought us here, he can take care of us here. There's a place to run when things get overwhelming and you find yourself under the pressure. Not just for the great trials in life, but any kind of trouble in all things by prayer and supplication. Jesus loves us and Jesus is with us. He sees you in your struggle and often he sends you into it so that he can meet you in the middle of it and show you and just show you how strong he is. As we cry out to him and trust in him, he holds our hand and he sees us through the storm. Amen.